Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right, people, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, October 29th is just moments away. But before we get into set hour number two, we need to thank the following unions again for sponsoring our program. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, not Aerosmith, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. And of course, today's show is brought to you by our good friends, at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. It is Tuesday, October 29th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, get a pen, get paper, take notes, because TIFF guru Tom Tresser is here, and it's Nicole Cantello of the Environmental Protection Agency. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Tom Tresser's in the studio. Tom Tresser's in the studio. He's the TIFF guru. You've been hearing him uh, for the last several years. Uh, he's like Chicago's own variation. Uh, Paul Revere. I uh, use that line on a lot of different people, but uh, he's riding around warning us about the pending doom uh, of our city that uh, stashes so much of its money into TIFFs. And uh, he's the head of the group, or he's part of a group called TIFF Illumination Project. Welcome to the show, Young Thomas. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. And I'm going to say it's all <laughs> your fault. <laughs> yeah, all right, let's uh, go back in time. Uh, I uh, I got the TIFF bug in the 90s uh, and uh, spent about 10 years or so writing about TIFFs. And at some point, our paths cross on this issue. So talk about it. We have a visual. I don't know for your... Oh, my for, God. You have a visual. <laughs> I throw nothing away. <laughs> wow. I am holding in my hands oh my for your radio audience a yeah. flyer from 2008. It says, yeah. it's your money. Would you believe $500 million in 2006? The truth about tips. There's a picture of a young Ben. <laughs> Not that young, man. <laughs> a young girl. And it says, a talk by Ben Jaworski, the political reporter, goes on, and it's for the uh, Greater Lincoln Park Democracy for America. Oh, yeah. Meeting on February 12th, 2008. All Ladies right. and gentlemen, I submit this artifact <laughs> as Exhibit 1 for All the right. people. I'm going to grab that and put it in the camera. Put okay, it in the camera. Uh, yeah, here we go. And you were the host uh, that night, I correct? was. And it was at DePaul. Remember this. That's right. Good and God. I still have that sweater. <laughs> <laughs> so we had about 50 people there, and we were trying to build this progressive organization in Lincoln Park, okay? And you came, and I remember you waving a property tax bill. And this is my Ben Jaworski imitation. Hey, your property tax bill is lying to you. <laughs> That's good. It's wow. Huh? Dang, man. Uh, can you do a Donald Trump? <laughs> oh, no. Something no, about would, the Bulls. I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare. <laughs> you got to say something. First of all, you have to say man, yeah. and then you have to say something about your beloved Bulls. Uh, but yeah, no, I was, in those days, I was going around. Oh, my goodness, Tommy, bring back memories. That's right. I was going around to various. Neighborhood groups. I mean, I've talked about tips in so many different settings, uh, and you've really picked up the mantle, taking it one step further. But I would go and I would bring a property tax bill. That's right. And the proof, the reason I brought a property tax bill was to show how even though uh, your your property taxes went up to finance the TIF funds uh, to uh, to be deposited into various TIF bank accounts. It was not recorded on your no. property tax bills. <laughs> They're lying <laughs> to you. So th that's what I remember from that meeting. And I go, what the hell? Now, the following year, I got into the No Game Chicago. So this is, this is what this artifact is right here. We fought the Olympic bid. So it was all... 
the, the Olympics all the time. Mayor Daley was like obsessed with bringing the games to Chicago. He stopped governing, I think, the city for two years and spent, uh, raised about $90 million, and everybody was hypnotized. Not everybody. Well, yeah. there's one person in the room besides myself who yeah. wasn't hypnotized. Yeah. But most Chicago civics were yeah. kind of, uh, you the know. civics. Uh, hypnotized or seduced or threatened. Yeah. Uh, and I, I was told by many civic leaders that they dasn't speak against the games for fear of the mayor. Well, this artifact right here is from uh, across the street from the Michael Reese Hospital site, and that's what it really was all about. It was about greed and corruption. Uh, but we filmed No Game Chicago, and that's another artifact here. I, oh, my I God. I bring you. Wow. Better schools. Hey, that's a theme that hasn't gotten away, has oh it? Oh, my goodness. No yeah. Olympic Games. No Game Chicago. Oh, thank well, God the live stream worked today. Yeah, no, he has all these. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, you know, that's so good, Tom. The better schools, no Olympic Games. Yeah, that fight took place. And at one point, uh, I like to say that a big aid uh, to, in, in that fight, whether they realize it or not, and I'm just going to give them a shout out, the Fraternal Order of Police. Yes, they prote protested on the day that the Olympics came to, to a review our area. Yeah. And we protested in uh, the Federal Plaza while they walked around. Walked around. around. God bless City them. Hall. I always said Fraternal Order of Police helped uh, keep Chicago from having to spend untold hundreds of millions of dollars on that of course, frivolous Of course, spectacle. No Game Chicago went to, to Switzerland. That is correct. In the, in the summer of 2009, and we, uh, 2008, actually, and we, brought, we invited you to come to Switzerland with us, to the headquarters of the AOC. And if you remember this, I vaguely remember you would this. have been there to see us uh, deliver the famous Book of Evidence to the IOC. Oh now, this is, wow. this is an actual artifact, one of the few remaining copies um, and you know whose letter starts out the Book of Evidence, Ben Jaworski? No, whose? <laughs> you. You. Your letter. Oh, yeah. I remember I wrote that letter. Yeah. It says, an open letter to the IOC, why you don't want to give Chicago the Olympics. Ben Jaworski, April 2nd, 2009. We made 150 copies of this Book of Evidence and took it to Switzerland with us and delivered it personally to the members of the IOC. And who's got the last letter in here? It's also... A, a lawsuit from um, the um, great group Designs for Change. Now, we went to Switzerland, we went to Copenhagen mm -hmm. in October of 2009 to give them the final stuff. And guess whose letter we took to the IOC in October? Your letter. Oh, yeah. When you said one last time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't give us the games. You said, like, this is like, I know we bothered you so many times, but listen, here's one last. Uh, column from Ben Jaworski okay. in Chicago. We deliver that personally through the uh, Copenhagen police, the Danish army, the uh, Secret Service, and Mayor Daly's personal security guards that he brought with him to Copenhagen. We, we penetrated all that to deliver the materials on the day of their vote. And uh, Chicago did not get the Olympics, so I guess I made, wrote a persuasive letter. I think you time. did, and we delivered it for you. I uh, appreciate that. Well, but the whole point of it was, mm -hmm. Ben, is because of that uh, meeting that we had that you went that you uh, joined us at 2008. It mm -hmm. was in my mind about TIFFs, and we used it to to derail the Olympic bid in this way. In the spring of 2008, we got a hold of all the TIFF reports uh, of about 165, and we opened them all up and looked at the balance sheet and discovered 1.7 billion dollars mm -hmm. sitting in TIFF accounts. So we ran around the city for the rest of the year saying Chicago isn't broke. We don't need the games to, to, to uh, prosper. Let's talk about that $1.7 billion right now. Let's, let's figure out how to use that money to make the city great. Let's not throw a party you know, seven years from now. And they hated us. That was the origin of the TIFF Illumination Project, which has been rolling all these six years. And so what uh, you do with the TIFF Illumination Project, among other things, and let's talk about this up front, uh, is you do this tally of the annual reports. Yeah. This is really important, everybody, uh, because every year... Uh, a portion of your property tax uh, is siphoned off and uh, to various TIF bank accounts uh, that are uh, largely controlled by the mayor uh, with some keys, uh, aldermen. It's, but it's largely the mayor's slush fund, and the mayor is free uh, to dip into it for whatever he or she wants. That's why it's so important to the mayor. Uh, the issue has been, since Tom started talking about it at great length, how much money is sitting in these TIF bank accounts that's unobligated, that is not directly earmarked for any specific project, which is free for the mayor to use however he or she wants. 
And which this, is called a slush fund. Which is called a slush fund, <laughs> all right? Although, uh, in my the column I write tomorrow, I allude, I see the mayonnaise, I, I allude to the mayonnaise jar because one common theme, Tom Tresser, that every mayor has uh, repeated from Daly to Rom to Lori Lightfoot is that despite what Tom Tresser says, <laughs> there's no money right. in the TIF slush well, fund. Well, we're here, we're here to, to say it ain't so. <laughs> oh, and so the last, just to get the mayonnaise joke, uh, in the last budget, uh, in the lead up to yeah, Mayor Lori Lightfoot's budget address last week, um, one of her, an unnamed city hall aide that would, would not reveal him or herself, told the Sun-Times that they've scraped the mayonnaise jar clean. Yes, we brought okay, it here. So we, we brought it here to, to, brought, to demonstrate. So it, no matter what you say, Tom, they always say, sorry, Tresser, there's no more, money. And then all of a sudden when they need some money, oh, where'd it come they from? Find, they find some more mayonnaise, man. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, so let's just show the folks at home our sophisticated data gathering tool called the spreadsheet. That's unbelievable. So, <laughs> that's unbelievable. This is here. He, th this is here funded wow. courtesy of nobody. We've been turned down 30 times by foundations, but nevertheless, we're able to <laughs> use our vast data resources uh -huh. to go through the TIF reports every year. This is from 2018. Okay. So there's 145 active TIFs. So that's how many, you know, that's how many rows we have. And all we do is we add up the, the numbers at the bottom of the sheet. And lo and behold, at the end of 2018, there was $1.5 billion sitting in the TIF accounts. Now, that is the city's data, okay? So let them dispute this and say, I'm hallucinating or we're wrong in some way. So it's simply their information. Well, what they haven't done, and this goes back to daily, this is a common theme, is that they've not in any way revealed their own, like, You've gone through, okay, just, just people know this. This is like TIF geekdom. But the city is required by state law to, re, uh, to provide an audit every year of every single uh, TIF district. And so these are annual reports, and they put them online. They're PDF files. And that's what we use. Yeah, that's what you use. And uh, so they're required by state law to do that. It's a report that they uh it's officially delivered to the state controller. Anyway, so what Tom does is goes through 145 different annual reports. Correct. One report for, so you think the city would just say, you know what we're going to do? We have to, it's all on our computers. We're going to come up with one total. But no, they never do. They, you, they could do this, a computer, they have it all on their computers. Well, not only that, Ben, they refuse to do it by wards because that's how people live politically. So they, they'll say, well, the TIF Kinsey, the Kinsey TIF district is this or that. And people go, I don't know what that is. I know Kinsey Street, but there's no alderman for Kinsey TIF. There's no director. Uh, so they would re well, they resist and have resisted to make the information available by ward, which is what we do. So we, we scrape it and pull it apart and pull it back together again and has been doing so. Since 2013, we did an open meeting, which you were at. Again, you are you're all over this project. <laughs> um, a public meeting at the Chopin Theater. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it was uh, February 2013, the night of the State of the Union address. I what might year add. was it? 2013, and it was packed. The Chopin Theater, my friends, was SRO, like at a hockey game. People were leaning in. They were shouting, "No tiffs! No tiffs!" Why? Because Mayor Emanuel uh, had just closed. 50 schools. Mm -hmm. So people were really uh, pregnant and angry uh, and present about their property taxes, right? Mm -hmm. So you were there, um, Professor Richard Dye from University of Illinois, who's been studying this for dog's ages, and the great Valerie Leonard mm -hmm. from Valerie uh, Leonard was there, yeah. So that was our little get together, and um, we unveiled the TIF Illumination Project that night, and we revealed the TIFs of the 27th Award, which is where we were. And we said to the, the assembled folk, if this information is useful to you, how TIFs work and what they're doing to your ward, give us a call. Mm -hmm. And you know, we have no staff, we have nothing, but we'll try to do a good job for you. That was 76 meetings ago. Yeah. <laughs> we did, the, the 77th meeting was just two weeks ago in Wicker Park. It hasn't stopped and we have no budget, we have nothing, but still folk out there, they want to know. Yeah. Well, okay. And going back to the point I was making. So uh, the the mayor, instead of uh, going through the computers and presenting a number for that they claim is in the reserves, just always says, Tom's wrong. 
Tom's wrong. That's what they, Tom's wrong. So we don't know. You would think that the first step one of a transparent, efficiently run city would be to tell people what property taxes they have in reserves yeah. so they don't have to raise your property yeah. tax. You can look at it from one of two ways, Tom. I sometimes, when I pay a top property tax bill, I put on my MAGA hat and now suddenly I'm really upset that I'm paying more money in property taxes when I know this money's in reserve. Yeah. But then uh, when I think about how our schools have 43 kids or 45 kids in a classroom, I put on my FDR hat yeah. and, I, and I'm upset that the money is being held in reserve instead of being used for something that I really feel is important. Important. So you can look at it either way. Well, I, 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 am, I believe in government. I, I mean, I'm an FDR kind of guy, except we got to have better governors. And I've been fighting the machine here since 1991, but I'm a believer in government because government made us problems. I mean, we have racism and structural uh, redlining and, and all these things that have plagued our, our city over the years. So we, we can use government for evil and for good, but we need better governors. And I've been fighting the machine for most of my, my adult life. And these TIFs here, we call them racist, and we say it's time to abolish them. And we ask people to go to endtiffsnow.org. There's a petition and all our arguments lining up why these TIFs cannot be saved. They can't be tweaked or adjudicated. They got to go. And these two TIFs for Lincoln Yards and the Project 78 are an act of economic warfare on black Chicago. They're egregious beyond understanding. They got to go. All right. Well, I'm lately, um, I'm rethinking everything. I'll throw this out at you. And uh, I've sort of come to the conclusion that TIFs are necessary evil, and I will explain myself and get your response. Um, so here's the deal. Uh, at their most basic fundamental level, uh, TIF is a surcharge that the city slaps on the property tax that everybody pays and the money goes into bank accounts, as we just said, largely controlled by the mayor. Uh, people don't seem too particularly upset about it, despite the fact, Tom, that I've been on this crusade since the 1990s, since the Clinton years. <laughs> All right. Uh, people don't seem too worried about it. You know why? Because they don't realize they're paying it. So I've come to the conclusion is if the only way we can fund the things that we think are important with government is to slap a surcharge on the property tax that people don't realize that they're paying. If people will go along with it because they don't realize they're paying it, then who am I to complain? <laughs> who am I to notify people that they're paying more in their property tax to fund the things that they say they want for government? You know what? I'm raising the white flag. Oh, no, no. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a horrible day for Chicago. But. I don't want the money wasted on things that I don't think are frivolous and not necessary. Like, for instance, uh, underwriting a upscale development in an already gentrifying neighborhood. Owned by a billionaire. Yeah. So, it, so I think that the money uh, should be then taken out and every year. And what do they call it? What do they call it? The surplus. They've created their own word. We surplus a TIF. I, yeah. I, I turned that into a new word. Yeah. So I'm saying, what's your thoughts about that, Tom? Just let's keep the secret tax going. Let's keep slapping the surcharge on the property taxpayers. As long as the people in Chicago are so clueless, to quote that movie that Dennis loved in the 90s, then and that they're willing to pay uh, extra in their property taxes, who am I to complain? <laughs> who are you, Tom Tresser, to complain? <laughs> and then we could spend the money on schools and police and fire. Firefighters, go well, ahead. Well, I I feel your your, your frustration, um, but I'll, I'll 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 see you and raise you. We need to be fighting the wars. We need to be fighting the overmilitarization of a, of our country. Our mayor should be in con con conclusion with the mayors of Los Angeles, New York, and and other older cities to to fight the militarization of the co country because Chicago and Illinois ships so much of its federal taxes to Washington, which then gets repurposed to, for the military. So first I'll put that on the table. If we're thinking big pictures, if they, if we, if we could just keep a half of the federal taxes, Chicago and send to Washington every year for the military, we, end the conversation, we could do whatever we want. We could rebuild the schools. We could cut class size in half. We could have gardens on every, you know, uh, treetop. We could do, the sky would be the limit, and it's just our money, mm -hmm. so let us use it. So in the spirit of what you're saying, no, end TIFs by all means, but replace it with a breathtaking plan for the future of the city of Chicago, which we're still waiting for from this mayor. 
if we can uh, give so much money to a billionaire Keating Crown at Lincoln Yards and the developers' uh, structure development down on the, on the river in Roosevelt, can we not come up with something equally breathtaking that will serve all our Chicagoans? And I don't know what that is, but let's have the conversation. Some people say cut class size in half. Some people say let's go solar and put solar panels on all buildings and let the city buy that, those panels and, you know, you'd be trained and something like that. Sort of like, again, like the uh, New Deal. You know, the city becomes the employer first resort. That's where we need to be. Stop messing around in uh, public money for a target, you know, to, for low-wage low jobs and non-union jobs. Let's get out of that space. Let's think big. Then I'm with you. All right. Well, I agree with you on the thinking big part. In fact, uh, one thing I miss from the 80s, one of the few things I miss from the 80s, uh, Harold Washington, mm-hmm. Harold Washington, former mayor of the city of Chicago, was always talking about our urban agenda. And our mayors uh, since then have dropped that that rhetoric, talk about how, let's say, Chicago has things in common with L.A. or New York or any other city in the country, and that we should have a combined uh, urban agenda. We should be petitioning the federal government to spend more money on cities to help us with our transit and our education, et cetera, Mm -hmm. and so forth. And so, yes, you're absolutely correct. Uh, That rhetoric is lost. In fact, cities are now competing against each other, fighting to uh, woo the Amazons of the world. Wrong. Wrong way to go. So I agree with you on that one. But let's just deal with this one issue that we're confronted with right now and that is that we're in day nine of a teacher strike yeah and uh the teachers union is demanding that the teachers uh that the city allocate more money more tax dollars because it's not coming from the feds no it's not coming from the state at the no. moment to more locally raised money uh to lower class size and to hire more nurses counselors etc yeah. and so forth and perhaps give teachers more prep time so it's all these things are on the table and mayor Lori lightfoot has said uh when she totals it up there's a hundred million dollar difference between what the teachers want and what she wants to give them mayor lightfoot go back to the mayonnaise jar <laughs> i've got to ask it's Let- not empty so look here we go <laughs> Oh my God! Here we go. So she she took out one third. Oh my gosh! All right, let let the record show. Let the record show that we have emptied out one third of the mayonnaise jar. That's three hundred million dollars. Okay, but look, look, the mayonnaise jar is still filled with one point two billion dollars. Of mayonnaise. So here we go. Look at that. Look at all that mayonnaise in there. Uh, oh, right, my don't God. get it on the table. Up there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, mayonnaise. I, I think the people at home want a sandwich. <laughs> they get the point. The mayonnaise jar is full of TIFF money. So if it's only 100 million, Mayor Lightfoot, go back to the jar. Yeah. Let's get this strike over with, okay? And by the way, while you're at it, Kill that Lincoln Yard. Wait, wait, before you say kill the oh yeah, kill the Lincoln. Well, yeah, the, she killed the lawsuit that would have killed Lincoln. Yeah, Yards. no, no. Yeah. Let's rethink that. All right, but let me just say this. This is the other little point that I always uh, I'm amused by. Whenever the mayor, uh, and it doesn't whichever mayor, because they're interchangeable on this point. Rom, Lori. Uh, does a surplus of TIF funds where they dip into the mayonnaise jar and throw a little mayonnaise at various entities right. that need the money at that moment. Yeah. They always say the same thing. They always go, uh, this is a one-time deal, Yeah. okay? We can't rely on any more mayonnaise coming in the mayonnaise jar. So all you little peasants out there in the city of Chicago, this is just a one-time right. deal. They, Forgetting to uh, remind us that every year they, that TIF surplus, that surcharge on your property tax exists. So guess what, folks? Next year, you're going to be pouring more of your mayonnaise into that, that jar. That jar keeps getting filled up <laughs> every so year. It's like, but every year, T, Tom, when they do the surplus, what do they say? It's, oh, this is just a one-shot thing. Yeah. Special thing. Man, Emmanuel did that a few years ago. I think it was about $85 million the last time that the teachers came to the table, right? I yeah. think that was about four, four or five Isn't years ago. Isn't that funny? They only dip into the mayonnaise jars when the teachers go on strike. Right. Imagine if some of the other unions had their balls. Well, look, CTU... Come with us and help us abolish these tiffs. If you had helped us abolish tiffs, if they had if they had been working with me, this would have been a done deal by now. This money would have the mayonnaise jar would have been emptied. It would have been a different civic conversation. So I ask my friends, Jesse Sharkey, if you're listening to this, let's let's work together. Your rank and file know me. They they've come to my meetings. They they, they understand what we're speaking about here. This this injustice about tiffs. So let's get on the same page, brother. Let's let's. Kill these tiffs together, and 
you won't have you'll, your strike will be over in like five minutes. All right, I am not certain. In fact, I am positive I'm not aboard the kill the tiffs bandwagon because the uh, new Ben Jarofsky is let's exploit the tiffs oh, no. since they're not going anywhere. But I yeah, am with you're you. You're killing me, man. Yeah, I'm with you 100 percent on transparency. So at the very least, we'll cut a deal, Tom. This is Chicago. We'll cut a deal. <laughs> you and I agree that the mayor should be completely and totally and utterly transparent about how much mayonnaise is in the mayonnaise jar. Are you in agreement? I with agree. That? But listen, let me just say when I hear transparency in the city of Chicago, because this is a, the big watchword, to me, that's the image of a, of a gasolation station robbery where you watch the security footage a month later. It's grainy. You see a guy with his hands up. There's a gun. A crime has been committed. Committed. It's over. It's gone. The criminal is gone. But you've got the videotape. That's what transparency means to me in the city of Chicago. All right. And now let's just also point out, uh, just so people know, that the other thing that the TIF Illumination Project does, as in, in addition to uh, measuring how much mayonnaise in the mayonnaise jar, uh, is do you do hearings or uh, meetings we in do. neighborhoods throughout the city of Chicago, and you break down what their TIF districts That's have spent right. the money on, and what kind of things have you discovered? All kinds of things. Well, like I say, we've been doing this 77 times. You, you can... Hit us at uh, civiclab.us and you'll see a way to contact us or tom at civiclab.us if you feel like emailing me. We'll come and visit you, but basically we do a civic house call. So we'll tell you, um, first of all, what tips are in, in sort of a strangely entertaining way that, uh, that is uh, compelling and clear. So you leave the meeting with a, a basic 101. These are how tips work. These are how many there are in the city. You know, how big a deal it is. How big a deal it is in the state of Illinois, because there's about 1,200 TIFs across the whole state, about 420 cities. So we're not alone. Then we tell you, okay, here we are in the 13th Ward, the 19th Ward, wherever we are. Here's how many TIFs there are here. Here's how much money they've taken from you. Here's who's getting paid. Come on, this is Chicago. We want to know who got paid. And then we say, hey, could there be any conflict of interest? Heaven forfend. Could there be a connection between people who receive TIF money and your older person? And guess what? Every time there is. We were in the... We were in the, the ward, what's her name? Uh, Carrie Austin's ward. I think that was the 34th ward. Mm -hmm. Unbeknownst to me, her chief of staff was in the back of the room. And when I got to the point of uh, revealing the conflicts of interest, the two big tiffs mm -hmm. that she funded there, gave her about $6,000 in campaign contributions, I heard a voice from the back of the room, she used that money for turkeys. I said, excuse me? And all of a sudden, it's her chief of staff, a guy who's been in the news for his double dipping between the state and the city. Um, and he said, yeah, she used that money for turkeys. And I go, <laughs> are, you, are you kidding I'm me? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to laugh, but go ahead. <laughs> so, what a city. So, so then he, so this chief of staff guy did try to uh, very change the subject and, you know, try to get us off the topic. But basically he said, uh, yes, the alderman took the $6,000 and spent it on turkeys for her. All right. citizens. Well, but we find those stories over and over, over again. and over again. And uh, it, it is kind of a funny thing because uh, many times or uh, Tom will bring his show on the road to some ward and the alderman or alderman's aide will be outraged and get up and uh, start uh, uh, accusing you of getting something wrong. I think I was at a meeting with you once uh, in the, the uh, in maybe I think it was you uh, in West Riders Park where Bernie Stone, yeah, the he was, former alder, made rest in, the in back. peace. Yeah, he got it. You don't know what you're talking about. Uh, Save some of that mayonnaise for me. Uh, that was actually the uh, only time. Listen, um, I don't run those meetings. They're always put together by the citizens of the neighborhood, and they often do invite the alderman. They never come. No sitting alderman has ever been at one of those meetings. Well, time out. Bernie was retired by that. Yes, he's yeah, he retired. No, but he, well, he's since passed on. But when at that meeting, he was not the sitting all no. the he had already he had lost his election that's right and he came i i because he was because he was defending his past actions well he was also interested in the issue and he was bernie stone yeah. and i'm going to defend bernie stone so, he, but he, but but I a, like bernie. but no all sitting alderman has Absolutely. ever ever hosted one of these meetings nor been in the audience just sort of to except two times where they came late because they heard that the meeting was 
packed and was dynamic. And two aldermen came and then got lambasted by the by the attendees. All right, that's Tom Tresher. Hey, uh, with Tom, people. if real quick too, if you could plug us, uh, so we got people uh, on the live stream chat wondering uh, about the TIFF website. If you could just plug everything one more time. One more time. Sure. Um, go to um, endtiffsnow.org, and that's the campaign to eliminate TIFFs. If you just want the background, and we've got videos, and oh my goodness, all sorts of reports, it's TIFF reports. Com. If you want to get a hold of me, Tom Tresser, bring me it to your community. We do civic house calls. Hook me up at tom at civiclab.us. And that's Tresser, T-R-E-S-S-E-R. You got it, brother. All right, Tom Tresser has been fighting a good fight for a long time. Thank you so much. And speaking of unions that got guts, Tom, I'll tell you, uh, Nicole Cantello from, uh, she's the president of Local 704, American Federation of Government Employees. She doesn't play around. Uh, she's going to hear, we're going to be talking about uh, Donald Trump's bizarre attitude toward federal employees uh, and to uh, the EPA and to the environment. So we're going to bring uh, Nicole on uh, after this break. Take care, everybody. Good night, and I want to thank um, all the people who were involved and at the table till well past 2 a.m. <clears throat> we came so close, um, nearly to a tentative agreement on the big, biggest issues um, at stake. The two that CTU defined for us as their core issues, class size and staffing. These are the issues that CTU has told us from day one are the most critical to getting a deal done. For months, we've heard the union say they needed additional support staff and class size uh, relief on top of the generous compensation package on the table that will pay the average teacher nearly $100,000 a year. And so we made significant compromises to resolve these issues. $70 million in additional staffing, including a nurse and a social worker in every school, in writing. 25 million in class size relief in writing. Commitments to direct additional resources toward our high needs schools. We put it all in writing because of, on, on these matters, we fundamentally agree with the union. Our students need and deserve fully staffed, fully resourced schools. And our teachers can do their best work with manageable class sizes. All told, this is a half a billion dollar offer. And yet we still do not have a deal. The CTU's bargaining team continues to move the goalposts and bring in more issues that do not belong in any collective bargaining contract. They have now informed us that they want us to bargain over several other matters that are legislative and matters in nature, not contract issues. For example, they're demanding that I support a specific bill about an elected school board, a bill that I fundamentally think is flawed and rejected. Look, I made clear many times that I support an elected representative school board, but that is a citywide conversation that must be had. It is a policy that must be changed through the legislative process in Springfield and with many stakeholders at the table, not just the CTU leadership. They also want to negotiate over a change to the state labor law that governs what issues the union can strike over. Again, this is a legislative issue, not a contract issue. Are we really keeping our kids out of class unless I agree to support the CTU's full political agenda wholesale? If the CTU wants a deal, there's a deal to be had right now on the table. It's an excellent offer that will bring unprecedented equity-focused investments to our school system. All right, today's Ben Jarofsky show, not only brought to you by mayonnaise, also, <laughs> I thought Mayor Pete was in here, also brought to you by Green Element Resale. That's right, they're located at 6241 North Broadway in Chicago, <laughs> and people, it's the best thrift shop I've ever been to, honestly. They're open from Monday through Saturday, 11 a.m. until 7 p.m., Sundays, 12 until 7 p.m. No, they don't have mayonnaise. I think that's the last thing you want to buy from a thrift shop is mayonnaise. But, hey, they may have a mayonnaise jar, an empty jar that you can buy. GreenElementResale.com is their website. I'm looking at GreenElementResale.com right now, and I'll tell you some of the things. I've got pictures here. they got pictures posted on uh, GreenElementResale.com. Oh. Look at that. It's a beanie. It's cold outside. <laughs> Who needs a beanie? Who doesn't Everybody need a beanie? Needs Everybody a needs a beanie. So uh, that's there at GreenElementResale.com. Go check it out. It's Green Element Resale. They're located right between um, the Granville and uh, Loyola 
red line stops right there between granville and devon so go check it out green element oh that's a suitcase oh it's a nice suitcase too green element resale home of suitcases so go check out green element resale 6241 north broadway and uh yeah, I think we're done talking about them. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Nicole Cantello has joined us from the uh, Federation of Government Employees, one of my favorite unions, local uh, 704 here. And uh, you talk about a union with guts. Uh, Nicole's union has got some serious guts from the get-go. Thank Donald you. John Trump was elected in 2016. I think it was January of 2017. Maybe it was February. I may get the months off, Nicole. Uh, the workers, the employees, the scientists, the lawyers from the EPA were out in the street protesting his cuts and his regulatory cuts that were uh, leaving us vulnerable to all kinds of contaminants and pollutants, et cetera, and so forth. And here we are three years later, and you're still out in the streets fighting Donald Trump. So thank you for doing that, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I just wanted to say first before we started that we express solidarity with the CTU um, who are out there now for eight days. Um, as you know, we were out um, of work in a lockout um, during the shutdown, so we know how it is to be out of um, out of the out of work and um, not being uh, being deprived of our livelihood. And we just want to express solidarity with CTU. All right, man, the, the, it, the sh- man, wow, locked out. Sh- uh, yeah, they shut down the government. That's like. I remember you coming on the show, or maybe it was Felicia Chase. I can't remember which, but it just seems like ancient history. When was that? I've, I've lost track of time. It was December and January of this year. Yeah. My God, that's like... Another a, body blow that we took. An, and I just want to say our first day in the streets against the Trump administration was February 6, 2017. We've been out in the streets since that day. And that on that day, February 6, 2017, we were protesting against Pruitt being nominated for... Um, for uh, head of the EPA, and we got him out of there. All right, now let's uh, let's sort of subdivide things here, and uh, so we can deal with it. Uh, there's two essential issues at stake here, uh, Nicole, uh, as I see it, and maybe you could add to the number of issues that we should address. The first has to do with Donald Trump's administration's attitude toward collective bargaining rights and federal employees who are in unions. That hostility, which is beyond the EPA, it's dealing with people who work for the Social Security Administration, uh, people who work for the Veterans Administration, who work at any federal employees. There's that issue. And then there's the issue of his particular uh, hostility to uh, regulations and rules that protect the environment from pollution. So you're in the middle of a two-prong attack by Donald Trump. Am I accurate in what I just said? You got it. We got the double whammy. That's what I um, referred to it as, the double whammy. So the, the, the second one, the one, I mean, the first one that you referred to, the one that attacks federal labor rights, that one came on later. So we got the first one, which was the attack on the environment, which seems to be Trump's real desire uh, here. He has rolled back 81 environmental rules um, since he started, or he has tried to attack 81 environmental rules since he started. But just putting that one aside right now, and the later attack is the one on all uh, federal workers in which he has uh, tried to, to roll back um, uh, labor uh, rights for all federal workers. Um, one of the things that, if you think about what's going on in this administration, um, I think one of the stories that is going to be told about this administration is the way federal workers stood up against this administration um, across the board. If you think about, you know, the Ukrainian uh, admi- uh, ambassador, if you think about those guys down in the National Weather Service who objected to the Sharpie being drawn. Um, you know, across the board, if you think about us here in, in Region 5 and how we're resisting and we're continuing to speak out, um, it's really federal workers who have nowhere to go, who are still staying in their jobs, who are the last line of defense who are objecting to this administration. And it's and there is just no doubt that that's why he has coming after the, you know, our rights um, to protect ourselves uh, against him by, uh, by uh, uh, having those rights in our contracts. Uh, and he has, uh, at, uh, at the EPA, just taken away uh, our collective bargaining agreement and imposed something what we call the UMAD, which is a, we call it the UMAD because it's a unilateral management anti-employee directive that was imposed upon us that took away our labor rights. Um, and that uh, document uh, is still in effect at EPA, although 
We just won a victory um, at the Federal Labor Relations Authority um, just a few days ago, uh, in which the Federal Labor Relations Authority here in Chicago found that that EPA did uh, bargain in bad faith uh, in imposing that document. Uh, so we're very thrilled about that. Talk about uh, UMAD. Uh, it's an acronym, and it's probably confusing people out there. Let's break it down. What what does it stand for again? Unilateral. We call we call it the UMAD because it makes us you know obviously mad. Mad. It's a unilateral management anti-employee directive. So what the Trump administration was, was just took away the contract that we had collectively bargained that gave all of us rights, like the ability to file a, um, a grievance if someone, you know, if, for instance, management uh, disciplined us or downgraded um, our performance or took, a right, took away um, a uh, flex day away from us. So it allowed us to file a grievance. It, it took away rights like that. And, and so when the UMAD was imposed upon us, uh, we objected to that and we filed a um, objection in the, in the Federal Labor Relations Authority. And we said, this isn't right. They can't just take away our contract um, that we've you know, collectively bargained uh, and take away all of our rights and just impose upon us a contract. Yeah, I, I just this this just pause here. The la when I wrote about this, I remember talking to you, or maybe it was Felicia. I can't remember who, and saying I, I just can't imagine Donald Trump uh, in a contractual negotiation with, let's say, a subcontractor having the subcontractor just impose a new contract on him, raising the rates that he would have to pay, or any. Uh, private entity you're, that is dealing with another entity in a contractual agreement. Just one side does not have the right to impose its terms on the other side. And yet Donald Trump felt he had the right uh, to tell the, your union, this is the way it's going to be. I'm throwing away your old agreement. Yeah. I mean, this is the great negotiator. and He didn't feel like he could get this in negotiations. He had to just impose it upon us, no negotiations. But this is what he did. And so uh, he is not, you know, but we, we objected. We went to the Chicago um, uh, Federal Labor Relations uh, Regional um, uh, uh, Office, and the career staff there found that there was a violation of the Federal Labor Relations Statute uh, and that, um, that, that the uh, EPA management had um, uh, bargain in bad faith. So now what's the net effect of that ruling? Well, unfortunately, there isn't much of an effect because as which is which is very Trumpian because there is no general counsel at the Federal Labor Relations Authority. <laughs> you know that he is keeping many of his posts vacant. So in order to move that particular complaint forward and to give it effect, the next thing would happen would have to happen is that complaint would have to be recommended up to the general counsel and the general counsel would move it forward. Uh -huh. Well, there is no general counsel because Trump has appointed someone, but it hasn't been moved forward in the Republican Senate. And so there's no one to move that complaint forward. But at least we have this finding that they violated the law. So in other words, this is follow. This is it's like out of a novel by Kafka. No, no, it is. Yeah. So I in other words, really the uh, a finding was made uh, uh, sustaining your argument, agreement with your argument uh, that they violated the collective bargaining uh, agreement, that they did not act uh, in, in concert with the law. And uh, so generally what would happen, that finding would go to the general counsel of this federal entity who would impose upon the EPA the obligation to begin collective bargaining with the union again and to respect the contract that they have. But because there's a vacancy in the general counsel's office, there's no one to impose the finding. So it's as though a tree fell in the forest and no one was around. It didn't make a noise. Yes, but no, in that we have the finding and we can go out and say, look, these career staffers who have no dog in this hunt found that there was a violation. We're right. They violated the law and this is wrong. And we can, you know, we have that vindication. We can tell, tell our members that. We can tell the, the press and everybody else the Trump administration wronged us. Mm -hmm. And if there is a general counsel that's eventually um, 
appointed, we can force the Trump administration at least to, 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 um, to confront the issue of this wrong that has occurred to us. Um, also, the FLRA a regional office presented settlement terms to EPA management and said, you can go back to the bargaining table. And the EPA management rejected those terms. So we also have that um, to present to our members. Look, EPA management present EPA management rejected collective bargaining to, um, you know, f for you or with you when presented by the FLRA after being found in violation of collective bargaining, which is powerful to our members. Mm -hmm. So these are, you know, this is a very positive development for us, and uh, we're very pleased with it. All right, and so of course, presuming there's a, I'm not certain Donald Trump will fill that vacancy at General Counsel anytime soon. Uh, he's too busy giving speeches in the city of Chicago. Uh, taking issue with our police chief, but uh, presumably a new president, if a new president is elected by the uh, voters of this country, will fill that vacancy. So is your sense of it that this, uh, this, this, this sort of labor law battle will continue until the next election? I mean, we hope if there is a new elect, if there's a new president in installed and there's a new election, that the UMAD will be withdrawn, and because it was unilaterally imposed, so a new president could unilaterally withdraw it, withdraw it. Now, one of the things they said they you could not grieve when they took away your union uh, uh, rights or your collective bargaining rights. They said you couldn't grieve a. Uh, you know, a punishment that you thought was uh, unwarranted or it was a way to, you know, penalize somebody for doing labor work or union work, et cetera, and so forth. You couldn't grieve that, uh, take that to a hearing officer. Uh, have there been incidences where they've now punished uh, uh, some of the employees uh, for rules and rights that are under the collective bargaining agreement? Yes, they have. And let me just, I just want to clarify that because there's certain um, employees that you can't, um, that cannot uh, uh, grieve a disciplinary action against them, and then there's certain ones that can't. Okay. So there are there still is an avenue under the UMAD to uh, to get to have a grievance filed for a disciplinary action, and then there's certain ones that do not have the right. And so I just want to say that I am one of those employees that if a if a disciplinary action was brought against me, I would not be able to grieve that disciplinary action. So I am one of those employees that would would fall under the the title of of or the the, the group that would not be able to grieve. So and then there's some. That, that, that would be able and right now the ones that they have that they have disciplined are would are the ones that um, would would be able to grieve so we have not had the situation where they that had the, the, that are in the group that um, that were disciplined has that and that so that would really be a bold act of just I don't want to say war because that's such a strong term but uh, a strike against the union if they went after someone like you that they claimed was unprotected even though the union contracted uh the union contract would protect you and that would have what would that would go to court right that would spill over that'd be a legal fight yeah there is but there is one situation where we're having this um where we're, where, where people were able to grieve before where they're not where, which is right now folks are getting their performance reviews and before, under the contract, you were able to grieve a performance review, a downgrade in performance. And, you know, it's the end of the fiscal year. Our fiscal year ended September 30th. Um, and so it's this, this new fiscal year, 2020. And folks are getting their performance reviews. And they are not, if they get a low, low performance review, they are not able to grieve that. And that's something, you know, that you could see could be... Um, Someone could get um, a low performance review, not for a reason that they had a bad performance, but because someone didn't like them or didn't or, or they were whistleblower or something like that. And that's something that they're unable to grieve under the new contract. And that is something that is across the board. And that is something that is ha folks are feel that they are that they are they want to grieve right now and are showing up at my door. And we are not able to grieve that under the current contract. What about or the, the current UMAD? Excuse me. Yeah, UMAD, not contract. Uh, what about uh, vacancies? And uh, are they filling vacancies when they occur, occur or are they making you do uh, more with less employees? So we are at the lowest staffing level that we have ever been right now. Um, and even though they are hiring a few people, they are not able to keep up with attrition. So we are losing so many folks every two weeks during pay period time. And even though they are hiring one or two folks every two weeks, they are just not able to keep up with the amount of folks that are retiring or leaving the agency. So we are at the lowest point right now that we have ever been. 
All right. And let's talk about the practical implications of that. If they don't fill a vacancy, if you're losing staff, what are what are some of the responsibilities that the people that there these vacancies uh, that they're not filling would cover? What are some of the responsibilities? Well, I'll give you an example. So um, one of the things that we're responsible for here in Region 5 is we do enforcement in six states. So at headquarters, for instance, they do things like write rules and regulations, but out here we enforce the law against polluters. We do inspections of these polluters, these facilities like steel mills and, and uh, petrochemical plants. And we are this year... In fiscal year 2019, we have the lowest amount of inspections that we have had uh, in the last 10 years, which is, you know, kind of an unprecedented thing. Usually we go up in inspections every year, you would expect, because the, the agency should be getting better at its job, not worse. Uh, we are so low uh, at our, ins- our, at our inspectors, I be- inspections. I believe we are down 30% or more in inspections from the previous year. So we are um, 30%, not, did you say? Yeah, not able to cover... Um, or do as many inspections as and cover the facilities across our six states that we have been in the past or were last year or the year before. So there could be uh, contamination, there could be pollution that you're unaware of just because you don't have the manpower or woman power to do these basic inspections. Oh yeah, and this has been documented by Michael Hawthorne that there's... Michael Hawthorne, uh, ACE investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune. In the Trib, and that there are there is um, there are spills, you know, going on um, in Northwest Indiana that have not been caught by either, you know, the Indiana Department of Environmental Management or U.S. EPA. Uh, that would be Michael Hawthorne one more time, Chicago Tribune reporter. He's been done, doing a great job covering these things. So there's a, a practical impact, uh, Nicole, to when Donald Trump doesn't fill vacancies when Donald Trump is hostile to the union and make, and it, it sort of deters people from doing their jobs. It's a very practical. Yeah, no, I mean, there's actually an, a very, very um, important report that just came out that showed that air pollution in the United States, particulate air pollution, which is, you know, fine particle particulate air pollution in the United States just increased for the first time in a generation. And that's because we're not catching polluters anymore. It's one of the reasons. Uh, and not only that, we have the front page of the New York Times filled with stories about fire fi- uh, fires in California from one end of the state to the other, Los Angeles to Northern California. Uh, it, it does seem as though while we're so uh, distracted, Nicole, by so many different things, I mean, important things, impeachment inquiries going on in Washington, school strike here in the city of Chicago, it's like the world is falling apart. It's it's uh, almost biblical what I'm seeing happening in the state of California. Got to believe uh, there's some kind of connection uh, to uh, global warming and et cetera. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, this is a global warming issue, as you know, the PG&E issue and, and whether or not they can keep the power on there as well as have also the, you know, while fires are raging, it's all, it's all connected to the global warming issue. Um, and, you know, for, as far as EPA staffing goes, it's absolutely crucial that we keep EPA staffing up because if we do get a new administration in, it's EPA staff that will have to control the greenhouse gases, um, that the new administration will will um, will have to um, have to have to well, the new greenhouse. The, it will be the EPA staff mm-hmm. that will control the greenhouse gases that will be central to any any plan to control global warming that the new administration will have. So you can't have an EPA staff that's going to be crippled and it's going to be at its lowest amount low, lowest number ever. EPA staff needs to hit the ground running under the new administration, not be at its lowest point ever in staffing, from a staffing standpoint. We need to be talking about how we're going to ramp EPA staff up. What's happening now is EPA staff is being, you know, shackled. I mean, that's crazy when you have climate, climate change running rampant. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, we should be going in the other direction. We should be more vigilant, and instead we're being less vigilant. And then the, the front page of the paper, again, uh, this is not directly related to anything you do here at the EPA office uh, in Chicago, but GM, Fiat, Chrysler, and Toyota side with Trump on, Trump on emissions. This has to do with the Trump administration's attitude to the state of California uh, coming up with its own agreement with automakers on how much emissions uh, should be tolerated. Trump says, no, it's too high. The standards are too high. We want lower standards. We want more pollution, uh, Nicole, and uh, some of the, the car manufacturers. My sense of it is they're like, 
they're looking ahead. Maybe Trump's going to win. They want to be on his side. Uh, it, it, it does look as though, I mean, this is the most obvious point I'm making, but the government, our government that we, uh, is retreating on the, on the wider cause of uh, protecting the environment. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's no doubt. Like I said, they've, they've rolled back 81 or they attempted to roll back 81 environmental rules. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is unprecedented. It's, it's almost as if this was his primary agenda that he came into this, um, this uh, administration with. It is a thing he's been most successful in doing um, across the board. Uh, someone looked at this and they said, well, what is it actually that he has actually been most uh, focused on and most successful at. And this is really the thing that he has accomplished and, and done, had the most energy and focus on um, the, in this area. Um, and uh, it's amazing what he's been able to get accomplished. We need to turn it around. I mean, we need to make, you know, obviously there are folks out there, including myself, who are focused on trying to figure out how we're going to do that, you know, like come 20, you know, come, come a new administration. How am I going to get the staff here in Region 5 built back up immediately upon if there is a new administration? And how are we going to then start addressing all these very, very, very important problems? All right, uh, Nicole, if folks want to get in touch with you, if they want to uh, see what the union's up against, do you have a, a website, anything you could give them, any a way of uh, they can reach uh, the people at your union? Yeah, we're, at, we're on Twitter at, at 704AFGE, and then my Gmail is 704AFGE at gmail.com. All right, very good. And I have to say, uh, I will be talking to uh, a meeting of your union tomorrow. Uh, you're having. I'm so excited you're coming. Yes, I'm excited to be there and as did well. You take notes from our guest we had at two o'clock. Bring mayonnaise. Yeah, but bring mayonnaise. <laughs> Those that EPA, was awesome. EPA workers love mayonnaise. Uh, no, I'm We're going to have a lot for you to eat, Ben. So okay. yeah. I don't, I don't, don't to need to bring your own food. food. <laughs> I don't have to bring any mayonnaise. Uh, so anyway, I'll be. Uh, that meeting will be around noon and then I'll, from that meeting i'm going to dash over here uh so the show we'll get to, i think the show will start maybe a little later tomorrow all right uh but we'll work it out it'll all be good so our show may start a little later tomorrow and we do have an update before we get out of here oh. as well uh well i think we saw this one coming here uh this was at about 224 this afternoon nine members well nine ctu protesters were arrested at sterling bay it says here nine members of the chicago teachers union demonstrating inside sterling bay headquarters have been arrested a chicago police spokeswoman confirmed to the chicago sun times teachers had gathered at the entrance to the building to deliver a letter uh that's according to ctu leader chris uh Behrend. Uh, he says here, we uh, we want Sterling Bay to renegotiate with the mayor. He said of TIF funding of the Lincoln Yards development, uh, we have a team inside with the letter asking for a meeting with the CEO. Uh, it says here, we have members in front who've locked arms who are willing to take an arrest to hold Sterling Bay accountable for their greed at the expense of our students. The development company uh, behind the Lincoln Yards project issued a statement via Twitter once this happened, asserting that the police presence was not at their request. Here's the tweet from Sterling Bay. At the request of Fulton West's new management and ownership, not Sterling Bay, <laughs> not us, guys, <laughs> CTU protesters have been placed under arrest. I have a little bit of audio here. Uh, it may be inaudible. Haven't heard it, but let's check it out and see what we got. Yeah, it's one of those things with music in the background. All right, but you get the point. All right, that was cool music. Uh, yeah, no, Sterling Bay is a developer uh, that is overseeing the massive Lincoln Yards development, which has been underwritten by $1.3 billion, that's B with a boy, uh, of your property tax dollars. Uh, that was uh, approved by the city council uh, in a vote in the last meeting under Mayor Rahm. And Mayor Lori Lightfoot said at the time uh, that there was nothing she could do to stop it, even though uh, she basically uh, was opposed to the deal. She and her, her staffers had reviewed it and had gotten some accommodations regarding minority hiring, but uh, there was nothing they could do to stop it, so they're going to let it go. Subsequently, just so everybody knows, a lawsuit was filed by the Grassroots Collaborative challenging uh, the, the uh, handout to uh, Sterling Bay on the grounds that it was unconstitutional or unlawful or racially biased, etc. Uh, and then Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, sent in city lawyers to battle that lawsuit and convinced a judge to throw it out. So uh, the, if she was against the Sterling Bay uh, handout of $1.3 billion, 
she has a funny funny way of showing it uh, with city lawyers who are paid for by the by the way with your yes that's billion <laughs> with a B thank you I I don't okay. know much about optics but you had the the chance the rapper on Saturday Night Live with the CTU shirt also cast members with the CTU shirt on as well and then we got a CTU members getting arrested ah, that doesn't look good no just listen they're at thirty eight million dollars according to this uh, the union is it the difference. The mayor says it's $100 million, so I go, I split the distance. Nicole, you've been in negotiations. You know, people say all kinds of different things. Sometimes they think they're saying the truth, but they maybe don't understand. Who knows? So let's just split the difference. $69 million, as uh, Tommy Tresser pointed out, you got enough of that lying around the mayonnaise jar. They can cut a deal. This so. little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. All right. Okay. Thank you, uh, Mayor Lightfoot. Uh, so anyway, I want to thank Nicole Cantello uh, from uh, the... Um, EPA Workers uh, Union. I'll be talking to them tomorrow, having lunch with them, breaking bread with them. I also want to thank uh, Tom Tresser from the TIF Illumination Project. Uh, and Maya Dukmasova was in here earlier in the day uh, talking oh, we're talking all kinds of things, TIFs, politics, etc., and so forth. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend behind the board, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, uh, the man they call Dr. D. Give yourself a raise. Right, take- and White Lightning. Don't oh, forget that. Well, you know, yeah, and White Lightning. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of Petty Cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. My name's Dennis. All right. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcasters. Downloaders, we do live stream this program. And hey, way to go us. No technical difficulties today on the live stream. We're going to keep it going two days in a row. We'll see. But you can check out the live stream at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites. We live stream on Facebook at Benny J Show and the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. See you tomorrow.